CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, you ready? Born ready. Three, two, one. All right, everybody, we are about to start the show. Uh, if you just tuned in this week, well, Ben Jarofsky is in Los Angeles, California. Oh, there's someone surfing out there. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, Whoa! some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Oh, my God! Oh! Uh, the year 2019. So innocent then. Our biggest, thing, our biggest concern was gators. Gators got your granny. Remember that? Who was that hipster? Random hipster. Just some random guy talking about that gator. Saw the gator, dude. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 20th. Oh, my God, Ben, it's uh, Reefer Day. Hello. Mm. Every day is Reefer Day on the Ben Jarofsky show. Every day is Reefer Day on the Ben Jarofsky show in some form or fashion. But it's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. And if you want to help out this program, you can, chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. Yes, it is the day of marijuana. And did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over $100 million from recreational cannabis sales? It's true. As of 2022, Chicago hosts an impressive 44 cannabis dispensaries. The Windy City is the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention. It's June 10th through the 11th, and it's brought to you by NECAN. The convention will be the largest gathering of the existing local medical cannabis industry and those getting into the new adult use recreational market. The convention will showcase more than 100 companies, brands, and product lines. There's also four full programming tracks running each day for medical, business, cultivation, and social justice, featuring dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for information and to register. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the Ben Jarosky Show starts now. Wednesday, April 20th, and this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this It Didn't Work Wednesday, and here's why. Let's back up for a moment. Let's back up way up. Follow me on this, because it's going to be a long, winding road to get the end of this. I feel like there's and a we, good sound effect for backing up. No, oh, it's the the truck. There you go. Oh, my goodness. Can I get to share this? In the attic, as opposed to the kitchen, where I am now, in the attic, the overlooking the alley, always hear the beep, 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 beep. Beep, beep. But I learned, D, I learned, thanks to your instruction, how to mute, how to oh. mute my computer. So listeners don't hear the beep, 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 beep. But I, by the way, yesterday, right, I'm up over, okay, so the alley here too, by the way, a nice out, nicer alley here in Cali, in LA than in uh, Chicago. We'll be back in Chicago next week, God willing. Um, but uh, in this alley, there was a uh, moving van that was blocking the alley. And so one irate homeowner, got out, out of his house, went into the moving van, and went on the horn for, I would say, a minute. And I'm like, well, thank God the show's over. Oh, yeah. That guy must be from Chicago, too. <laughs> he could get this. It was very Chicago-like move. Anyway, let me back up. Uh, I got an uh, email from uh, Eric Zorn, the great Eric Zorn, uh, former Chicago Tribune columnist, 
longtime journalist in the city of Chicago, and uh, he publishes a weekly newsletter, which I urge everybody to subscribe to. It's called the Peaky and Sentinel, Sentinel uh, Vintage Eric Zorn. And one thing Eric's really good at, and I got to give him credit for this, he like takes apart uh, an issue, analyzes it. Like really, he's, he's like, I think Eric in the back of his mind wants to be a uh, judge. I really do. I think Eric wants to be a judge. And so like he gathers the evidence, he reads, he's very, I gotta, the guy is very open to absolutely any idea, no matter how absurd it may be. He gives it its moment, he get, reviews it, then he makes decisions by, based on past. So it's like past rulings, you know, like he weighs in, weighing all the evidence, and he renders a decision. And so he does that on all the issues of the day in the Picayune, Picayune Sentinel, uh, which you can find by just Googling Eric Zorn, Z-O-R-N. You can find him. He's also a dear friend of this show, uh, listens to this show uh, all the time, makes suggestions, makes corrections, uh, clarifications, etc. He is the person responsible for us correctly pronouncing Gary Raybine. I, I had a metal block. <laughs> I wanted to call him Ray Bean. D. And he helped, <laughs> and he helped like, me pronounce Janulius. Janulius, yes. Uh, he's really good with uh, phonics, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, he helps us with a lot of things, and uh, we love him dearly. Uh, he sent an email yesterday related to some advice he gave the show and a correction, and I will get to that email <laughs> oh, in a man. little bit. <laughs> I know. Hold your horses, everybody. We'll get to the, the latest email correction uh, suggestion from the great Eric Zorn. By the way, did I tell you he was a great basketball player in yeah, his day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a coach, right? Yeah. Well, he wasn't a great coach. Oh, okay. hey, come on. <laughs> when it comes to coaching, he's uh, a great guitar player. How about that? He was also a guitar player. Anyway, enough on Eric Zorn. So he sent me the email. I'll get to the email. The reason I mention him is that uh, he called me, I had an opportunity, he called me up when this reader situation was just emerging. You know, the reader situation is that my beloved reader, who I've worked for since uh, 1990, who have been writing for since 1984, just to let you know this, folks, uh, the sponsor of this podcast that you love, is about to run out of money and go out of business. Yes. Uh, it, had to do, it has to do with the dispute between the two owners of the reader. Like it's technical, there's a lot of back and forth, and I've long learned, D, that once you get into the technical back and forth, people tend to drip out of the cup. Oh, so complicated. My life sucks enough. I don't need to hear about your problems. But a lot of people will lose their jobs uh, if the reader goes under. A lot of good journalists, a lot of good ad people, people on the business side, the editorial side, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And it's set up to save the reader. So the reader had a for-profit existence, uh, and the reality is in this current world, it's very, very difficult, to put it mildly, for a publication to exist for-profit. You have to go not for-profit, which means you raise money for uh, donations from readers, listeners, etc. You know, we always make the pitch. You raise money through foundations and philanthropies who feel like what you have to offer the world is worth them contributing money to. Not that much different than what, uh, well, a lot of a lot of the Sun-Times is doing that now with WBEZ. They've gone that format. Block Club does that. I mean, uh, to a certain degree, that's the future of journalism in this country. We could talk why that is. We could do a whole learned conversation about it. Put that to the side. That's just the reality. To make that transfer possible, the two owners of the reader, uh, a developer, prominent developer named Elsie Higginbottom, and a criminal defense attorney named Len Goodman, who you know because he's been on this show several times, uh, done a great job, I might add, as a guest in this show, uh, have to agree to transfer it to the not-for-profit foundation, uh, the not-for-profit entity, which will be run by Tracy Bain, who's also been on this show and who has been working diligently and very, very hard for the last month setting this up and uh, Tracy Bame is just determined to do what everybody said couldn't be done, and that is literally save the reader, keep it going. God bless her. She's doing a great job. All you got to do, Len Goodman, Elsie Higginbottom, transfer 
to the not-for-profit. And the reader can continue. Elsie Higginbottom wants to make the transfer. Len Goodman is stalling. Len Goodman is stalling. He's mad because he feels the reader was, to put it mildly, heavy-handed in the way they dealt with a column he wrote about the vaccine. I think it was in November. Now, I've had my problems with editors down the road. Heavy-handed editing. I've had, I could write a book, Len Goodman, about the difficulties I've had with various editors in my life. I could go on and on and on. And one day, I may, as <laughs> if this doesn't get resolved, go on and on and on. It's one of my favorite topics. I don't usually talk about it on the air, D, because really nobody cares except for me. And the people who are like really close to me, like my family, have to listen to me moan and groan about editors. But you got to learn to walk away, Renee. The fight was had. Your column ran. It's still up there. Anybody can read it. At some point, you have to sort of like, I don't know, take one for the team, if you will. And in this case, transfer the reader. I made a PO yesterday. That's what said didn't work. I appealed yesterday. Here we are Wednesday. Tomorrow, there's going to be a, a reader picket action outside of Len Goodman's house. Basically, demanding that he transfer the reader to this not-for-profit uh, institution. I'm like, let it go. It's bigger than us now. It's bigger than a column. There are lots of jobs at stake. There's lots of good people who want to have health care. There's lots of good people who won't be able to pay their bills. I'm looking at one <laughs> right now. I'm looking at one. He's a good-looking man, young lady. But at some point, you just have to say, I made my point. And I've been quiet on this one, D, in part because I thought with my big mouth, I would just make things worse. I don't know how much worse they could be right now. Paper's about to go out of business. They're running out of money. See, the way the situation was, the reader doesn't make enough money to pay its payroll, so they're going for not uh, for profit status. To, be, to pay the bills, they got to bring in the grants and the donations from the various donors, foundations, philanthropists, et cetera, and so forth. You can't do that till you officially transfer. One thing is related to the other thing. So he's got, like, Len's got us. He's got a squeezing. It's like uh, the squeeze play from the Honeymooners, a TV show that nobody remembers except for old timers like me, but it's a great TV show. <laughs> and Ralph Cranman said, uh, what I'm going to do, Norton, he was talking to his friend, is the old squeeze play. I'm going to squeeze him. And right now, that's what Len's doing. He's squeezing. And there's you, a lot of anguish going on. A lot of folks who had nothing to do with your column, had nothing, no part of the editorial process, a lot of decent people got bills to pay, won't be able to pay them, got health care issues to worry about, won't have health insurance because they get our crazy system. All health insurance comes through your job. I'm going to avoid going down the Bernie path. <laughs> Medicare for all. So that's the situation, the squeeze play. And who's getting squeezed? People can at least afford to get squeezed. You know, and I kept my mouth shut all this time. And I prided myself, Dave, with that big mouth of mine, using it for people who I thought were getting exploited, people who I thought were being unfairly treated, people whose livelihoods were on, on the line. I've been doing this since I started for the reader. And now it's time to do it for the reader, for my friends and colleagues at the reader. I know I'm in a different place than most of them. I'm old older than any of them. So I'm closer to retirement anyway, social security, all that stuff. But there's a lot of young people out there just getting started. Or there's a lot of people in their thirties and forties. They're not closer to retirement. They're getting squeezed. It's bigger. It's bigger than an editorial dispute. And the reason I mentioned Eric Zorn is because he reached out to me about three weeks ago, Ben comment on this. And I was like, Eric, 
as much as I would love to be interviewed by you. And by the way, that would have been a firsty. I've known Eric Zorn since when did he coach my kid? I forget. Since he was Coach Zorn, he had a whistle. <laughs> Eric Zorn had a whistle, ladies and gentlemen. Great coach, by the way. I'm going to draw up a play. So I've known him for a long time. Uh, and uh, I've interviewed Eric Zorn. He's been on my show. It was the first time he would have ever interview, interviewed me. It would have been fun. But I said, no, nah, Eric, got to keep that big mouth of mine shut. I'm going to try to let the grownups in the room work things out. Responsible people who realize that there are some issues in their lives that is not as important as people having jobs, paying their bills, getting health insurance. Some things are just not that important. Well, here we are. Here we are at this situation where the existence of the reader is hanging by a thread. They're running out of money. I don't know if there will be a reader if this doesn't get resolved within two weeks. So do the right thing one more time, Len. Just transfer Transfer the reader to the not-for-profit. Come back in the show. Talk about free press. Talk about expression. Talk vaccines. Talk whatever the political issues of the day are. But do the right thing. I got to make this appeal for all my friends and colleagues whose necks are on the chopping block, so to speak, could lose their livelihood. Now, before we bring on our distinguished guest, who's waiting uh, to talk all things Trump and all things politics. D, let me get to the email that Eric Zorn sent that, what, how, did, how did millennials say it? That triggered uh, my comments today. So here it goes. And some of this pertains to you, young Dennis. Me? Yes. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Eric's very kind. Uh, he listened to the show and he heard the interview we did. Uh, I did with uh, Maya Goldberg Safer, and I urge everybody to check it out about Brittany Griner, the uh, WNBA player who's being ha- uh, held in uh, Putin's prison uh, in Russia. She's a hostage. I believe uh, Putin ordered her uh, held hostage uh, to try to wring something out of the American government. Uh I don't know. I I can't imagine what he would think Joe Biden would give him. Uh, Maybe a look the other way while his soldiers are just bombing and shooting people uh, in Ukraine. I'm not quite sure what Putin wants in exchange for Brittany Griner. And uh, so we took the deep dive on it. And at some point we got into an issue of the salary cap. We may have stumbled a little bit uh, on our explanation. So Eric was so kind as to do a a clarification and and an explanation of what the salary cap is. And so he says salary cap was the wrong term. That refers to teams. But the player max salary is even a bit worse than Maya said. 228,000 for the super max best player. I don't know enough to say whether the stars are worth it here as far as the audience draw WNBA ratings, etc. But that's just a data point. Hope all is well. See that? That's judicial Eric. He doesn't know enough to say whether the stars are worth it. I would argue, if we were having Eric on the show, that you cannot expand your league uh, until you take care of your stars. <laughs> so you should, like, uh, loss leader. Isn't that what they call it, Eric, in the business world? You put a little more money in it, hope to get a little more money down the, the road. Anyway, uh, that's my two cents. So uh, a salary cap is for the whole team. Uh, and what um, uh, what Maya was alluding to was sort of the cap on one payer's uh, salary. And then as a PS, he says, I'm casting a vote against studio audience applause. Shtick. Stephanie Miller, the syndicated host of WCPT, uses it. And just no. <laughs> He doesn't like the stu- uh COVID kicking in. He doesn't like the studio audience, D, and that relates to you. Um, so I don't know, D. Should we keep the studio studio audience applause, or should we get rid of it? And follow Eric Zorn's advice. Your I, thoughts? I mean, I didn't do it because of that very reason, but then I brought it back recently. I don't know. Hey, studio audience, <laughs> get lost, would you? Oh, great! There's the door. Get out of here. By the way, I just want to say this uh, echoes, this is an echo of a 
a bit I just saw on the Larry David show, which of course is not called the Larry David show. So send your letters and corrections listeners. I realize it's called something other than the Larry David show, but I like to call everything like for the person who's the host, so to speak. I believe it's called Curb Your Enthusiasm. Is that correct, Dennis? Curb Your Enthusiasm, yes. Yeah, what what knowledge I have. Anyway, I love the Larry David show, but there was a bit where Ricky Gervais was on. And have you ever seen the one? He's been on several times where Ricky Gervais comes on and they just all they do is argue with each other. Well, that's all pretty much anyone does with Larry David. Uh, But it's pretty funny because both of them are cut from this. They're cut from the same cloth. Anyway, Ricky Gervais is making fun of Seinfeld because Seinfeld has a studio uh, audience laugh, you know, laugh track, you know, that the audience doesn't know. It's funny. That that's my Ricky Gervais imitation, uh, which is a terrible imitation. Uh, do you have a Ricky Gervais imitation, D? Oh no, I don't. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Eric, I don't. You know, it's sort of like an impulse thing. So I'm going to leave that up to Doctor D. Uh, I take your advice. Okay, your reader, uh, listeners' responses are always welcome, and thank you for listening Ooh. to the show. But I'm going to leave that one up to the doctor. That's why we pay him that enormous salary that, of course, is threatened by the non-existence of the readers. Wow. Uh, so uh, without further ado on that, thank you very much, Eric, for listening. Thank you for the email. Uh, and uh, I'm ready to talk anytime you are about uh, all the issues uh, having to do with the reader because being silent is not really working uh, for the future of my newspaper all right without further ado uh every wednesday he comes on our show chicago journalism journalism legend the great monroe anderson welcome back cotter it's good to be back yes and uh i know you heard my appeal for the reader so uh you're a reader loyal reader reader going back to the 80s i'm sure and i know you're going to send out good vibrations to keep it going correct yeah i thought it was set the 70s they didn't start till the 80s uh, no, they started in actually 1970, 71, excuse me. But, yeah. uh, so were you reading it back in the 70s? Back yeah. Back in the, the early oh, days? Yeah. yeah. Not set 1970, but in the late 70s. Yeah. All right. So uh, send out some good vibrations. But Let's. Sh- I, I, they, I, I attribute Chicago's theater community, the fact that at one point we had 200 and some theaters to the reader. Because they would list all of them, which would give them a, it was a it was a a, a, rev, a a bloodstream for them, just being listed in the reader. Of course, in the recent years, that's no longer the case. Uh, well, actually, that's not true. Uh, completely, I'm going to have uh, Carrie Reed will be coming on to talk about this. She's the uh, the the chief theater uh, critic for the reader. Uh, very, she's been on the show a few times, uh, so we'll be talking some theater news, and we'll also be talking about the reader issue. But uh, yeah, she was just telling me that uh, there was with COVID, sort of the concerns over COVID uh, ebbing a bit. We're going to get into that with masks. Uh, theaters are opening up again and it's just theater reviews are pouring in. So it's good news for the, the theater community. Uh, let's, let's shift gears uh, away from my beloved reader and talk politics. Um, and we'll start with masks Monroe. Uh, of course there was a ruling uh, out of Florida, a, a Trump federal appointee, a judge, uh, Mazelle in Florida ruled that it was unconstitutional. Uh, for the CDC to command, uh, for the Biden administration to command uh, that uh, travelers on airplanes uh, wear masks, uh, that the government had exceeded uh, its authority uh, in this issue. And it wasn't on this matter. And it wasn't even certain that uh, it was in her uh judicial opinion that it was protecting the safety of people. So uh, the order was rescinded and uh, the announcement, it was almost immediate. I know we've Everybody has seen the videos of pilots announcing on the airplane you could take take your masks off, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. People taking their masks off jubilantly, uh, waving them in the air and cheering, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, we'll start with you, Monroe. Your thoughts on the mask order being rescinded? Uh, Trump Trump is like a, a venereal disease. He just keeps giving and giving and giving. I mean, this is his judge who uh, the American Bar Association rated as um, not qualified, unqualified. She uh, she was 33 
at the time, had, had never tried a case, had never been in a court, and she gets a job for life. And so she has no idea of what she's doing, except she's um, doing politics, of course. And I think it's a bad idea to um, unmask the public on public transportation. I just I, 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 I had a meeting downtown earlier today, and I took the L for the first time in two more than two years. And it was um, I needed a man. On the coming back on on the cars on there were three homeless people sleeping. Um, you know, and I, I talked to I, I, I talked to CTA people, and, and, and when Rom, your favorite mayor, <laughs> yeah, bought the New York style transit cars. I uh, wanted Sandra, one of the women at the Armitage Street L, told me that uh, that was a big mistake. That because of the benches, the homeless are going to be sleeping on them all night long. Whereas with the Chicago style, you just had two seats. And so it, it wasn't as comfortable. And, and on my car on the way back, one guy had a blanket. One of the guys had a blanket. And neither of them had masks, I presume. But you were wearing a mask. I you were, you were wearing a mask. Yeah, because, I, I, well, for one reason, it helped block out some of the odor. Yeah, you know, right. we people who hadn't had showers in a while. All right, all right. Uh, so, putting aside a debate on the these two guys that were sitting in the car with you, three, uh, three, okay, three, <laughs> three. Right. My bad. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, let's get to the heart of the matter. I'm gonna play devil's advocate with you, okay. uh, and I'm gonna come right back at you with a curveball that you're not expecting. Okay. Uh, so, get ready. Okay. Uh, batter up. Okay. Uh, it was just last week uh-huh. uh, that you uh, attended. Uh, uh, a ceremony honoring the greatest mayor the city of Chicago has ever had, Harold Washington, yes. on the occasion of his 100th birthday. Yes. Uh, it was a ceremony held uh, in a public room uh, at the Harold Washington Library in downtown. Uh, I was not uh, at that ceremony, but uh, you were my reporter, dutifully got back to me with the details. The room was packed. Uh, all the dignitaries in Chicago pol- Democratic politics, I should say, were there, including uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker and Mayor Lori Lightfoot, Congressman Bobby Rush, et cetera, and so forth, uh, were there to pay honor to the great Harold Washington. I asked you, were you wearing a mask? Ladies and gentlemen, the response from Monroe Anderson was, no, I was no, not. No, that was not my <laughs> response. That was sometimes. Something okay, okay, all right. It was, a, I it was an on and off again thing. <laughs> Wait, I have to. Oh my god, I folks, we will just hold on now. Uh, I'm writing this down. Mask at Washington. This will give uh, Monroe a little time to figure out a duck and dodge to get out of this. I uh, put him in a jam, but I, I must. I cannot believe I've been so derelict. I was so fired up over the reader conversation at the outset that I forgot. And so I, this is not easy for me to do, ladies and gentlemen, but I have to do it. I'm going to have to say some words that are hard for me to say, uh, but really easy for Monroe to hear. And so, hold on, let me take a drink of water before I say this. Mm. Ah, L.A. water is delicious. Monroe Anderson was right, and I was wrong about Tim Evans. Monroe Anderson said on the show last week that Tim Evans had endorsed Mayor Jane Byrne in the initial primary of 1983. (laughs) Only Monroe and I would be talking about something so ancient. And I said, no, Monroe. Uh, Tim Evans endorsed uh, uh, Harold Washington. Uh, Monroe said, no, I read it in the reader and I read it in other publications uh, that uh, he had, in fact, endorsed Byrne. I said, no. And then we made a bet on the the air, on mic. I, I, I there's no avoiding it. It exists. Proof of it. Uh, the, the loser of the bet would treat the other one to lunch. Within a day, I received, <laughs> I received a bit of a trash-talking email from a certain Monroe Anderson at gmail.com saying, uh, you owe me lunch, buddy boy. And <laughs> 
And uh, then there was proof. Not one, but two articles. You sent me two articles, ladies and gentlemen. Really rubbing it in my face. Uh, yes, I was wrong. Yes, Monroe is right. Both of them were reader articles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think actually one was from the LA Times. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was one was from the LA. I should have made a bet on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, well Ben, because of the circumstances with the reader. Okay. <laughs> my initial plan was to have you take me to La Sardine, which is right across the street from McDonald's headquarters. Okay. But now, under the considered the circumstance. This, I think I'll have a fish sandwich at McDonald's. <laughs> Let you take me to McDonald's and give me a fish sandwich instead. Uh, the gallows humor. <laughs> the gallows humor setting in, ladies and gentlemen, as we face our existence. Come on, Len, do the right thing. Make the transfer. Uh yeah, the gallows humor sets in. Thanks, Monroe. Uh, and I think uh, I'll, I'll buy you the fish sandwich, but no fries, all right? <laughs> no apple pie dessert for you. Anyway, I, it, you know, folks, sometimes you just got to admit you're wrong. It's painful. It's tough, especially when your person you're wrong to is gloating with a capital G. No, I'm not gloating. In fact, I, this reminds me of network. When when um, when they asked the producer, said it must be terrible being right all the time. <laughs> and she says, "I know <laughs> it is." <laughs> you know, and I've been wrong so many times uh, with my other guest Romana, uh, who comes in uh, every other week, and we talk a lot of cultural news. Like, I, She'll say something about she'll make a cultural re reference to something in the, uh, her era is the 80s and the 90s. That's her wheelhouse. And it won't strike me right. And I'll go, no, I think it was this way. And she goes, no, it's that way. And she's another one who loves sending the emails. <laughs> but I mean, this is my wheelhouse, Chicago politics. So to be wrong in Chicago politics is brings you down to earth a little bit. So, yeah, I look forward to get. Well, first of all, I look forward to getting out, uh, having lunch with Monroe. Uh, whether it's at some fancy French restaurant, which we won't go to, I can assure you that, or McDonald's or Potbelly. Uh, if we're going to go uh, cheap, uh, isn't there a Potbelly in your neighborhood? Just one yeah, right down the street. Yeah, yeah right. it's a few couple of blocks away. Well, there we go. We'll go take a nice walk to Potbelly and have lunch. <laughs> That's what we'll do. All right. Or maybe go to Pequot's. Anyway, neither here nor there. You were right. I was wrong. Um, all right. Now, back to... He thought you were you had escaped. So, why is it that you were not wearing a mask sometimes in this room uh, at the Harold Washington Library? Uh, but you think it's the mask still uh, still should be required on airplanes? Explain that. What seems to be a contradiction? Okay, my explanation is. Um, the room that we were in last week for Harold Washington mm -hmm. was the um, the garden room at the Harold Washington Library. Yeah, and its its glass ceiling is about uh, fifteen twenty feet high. Yeah, and you're on an airplane, and the ceiling is a foot above your head. You're on the train, and the, the ceiling's a little higher. The subway is a little higher than that. But you're in a tunnel where there's no fresh air for the the germ to spread, the, mm. the, the, um, the virus to spread. Yeah. See, okay, I, I'll kind of buy that. I think what's really going on in your head uh, is that you've made the same, reached the same conclusion <clears throat> that millions and millions of people in this country have reached. And that is you no longer view COVID as life-threatening for yourself. And yes. so you don't have that existential fear <clears throat> that yes. your entire existence as you know it will be wiped away if you get this illness or could possibly be wiped away if you get this illness. And so you're... 
with your fears down, your guard drops, and you're willing to do things that a year ago you would never do, which one of which is, first of all, get into a gathering with so many people, all right? Uh, and the second one is once in that gathering, take your mask off. And so that is sort of the job. I was with a group of millennials this weekend, uh, Monroe, uh, at a bar in L.A., and they all had their masks off. And it was, they were right on top of each other and they were talking, drinking. And you know how when you drink and talk, the spray comes in. You know that happens, Monroe. And I've now become a germaphobe since I was the one. There were two people with masks on, me and a woman who said uh, (laughs) she was wearing a mask because she had a cold which is an interesting twist that, you know, I appreciate that. She didn't want to um, spread the cold germs. And I was like, well, that's, that's an interesting notion. I thank you for doing that. I wish everybody else had the same attitude about spreading the COVID germs perhaps. Uh, But nobody else had a mask on. So don't you agree with me that people have dropped their guard? And so isn't there a part of you that says there's no point in having uh, mask mandates on airplanes? This time a year ago, I I had uh, one of my shots. I didn't even have both of my shots, or maybe I just had the second shot. Mm-hmm. Vaccination. I've I've had the two vaccinations and a booster shot. Now, so that's my protection that that that, that I I feel. That's it. So well, you, yeah, and, and because the, the the hospitalizations and the deaths are primarily from people who have not been vaccinated or who have not been fully vaccinated mm-hmm. or who have an underlying condition, and I don't fall into any of those categories. Yeah. Well, the political reality, and this is where ultimately I was going, the political reality uh, is that the Democrats who have generally uh, made this an issue from from a health standpoint in the face of a fierce resistance from Republicans, uh, even when there was no uh, vaccine available for everybody, uh, and even when uh, COVID was an existential threat, the Democrats have clearly reached the conclusion that this is a losing issue politically to insist on masks. And uh, hence, uh, Biden did not immediately appeal that federal judge's ruling. That federal judge's ruling, the logic in that ruling uh, is straight out of the MAGA playbook. Uh, It's an articulation of everything we've been talking about uh, in the state of Illinois in terms of what Darren Bailey has been saying uh, from the outset when COVID was a very real threat because there was no Well, you know, uh, because the the other thing you are factoring in is that it's been two years that we've been under the um, COVID restrictions of one, one thing or another and people have just grown tired of it. Uh, and it's not just Democrats and Republicans. Right now, there are major protests going on in China because they, they've locked down 25 million people, which is a drop in the bucket to China, but you know, it sounds a lot for us. And the, those folks are, are, are like tired of it. They just, so they're out there protesting and if China being China, they're beating the living daylights out of the protesters. Yeah. Uh, thank God it's not happening here. Uh, I, you're absolutely correct that people are just tired of it. And also people don't feel threatened by it. Uh, and the Democrats know it's a losing proposition, but what, yeah. what is, what's escaping the Democrats from a political standpoint and just think the contrast is the sense of jubilation that they've achieved something. And I think we all know that we haven't really achieved anything in terms of like when I say achieved everything, you remember that moment uh, in 2004 where George Bush declared victory in Iraq prematurely to put it uh, mildly mission accomplished mission accomplished. accomplished, Yeah. Yeah, It was an impossible mission for the get go, but he declared it mission accomplished uh, in order. This is classic Republicans to claim a victory to claim an accomplishment, 
to take credit for it. And knowing that essentially the way the matter was covered in the media, it would force Democrats to kind of sort of give him credit for something that he deserved no credit for. Probably should have been prosecuted for uh, leading us into that war in the first place. Yes. Uh, Peach, that's what I meant. Anyway, uh, so in this case, you have a judge, a Trump appointee, making a ruling that causes jubilation on airplanes uh, (laughs) when it's announced by the pilot, who's kind of grandstanding, I want to say. And it's not something the Biden administration can take credit for. If it was Republicans, oh, my God. Could you imagine if this judge made this ruling? If uh, Well, actually, Biden should have. The the political move should have been for Biden to take credit and, and, and say, yeah, I've gotten this to a point where the masks aren't necessary. Thanks to my leadership, I've gotten it to a point where we don't have to worry about this anymore. Because now he's in trouble. He's in a quandary because if he lets that judge's ruling stand, then it will, will become a principle for future judges to um, knock out the Center for Disease Control's um, rulings and use that as a as as a reason to do it if they don't challenge it they don't go to court and challenge it because she's made it absolutely that's that's the dilemma he faces right so uh so he he uh, he reserves a right to appeal if the cdc says it's dangerous if there's a, a significant health hazard uh, so they can appeal uh and then uh if they were victorious on their appeal. Then all of a sudden, a second ruling comes out that says, got to put those masks back on. And just imagine the outcry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, when you give somebody something and then you try to take it away. Right. <laughs> it's a lot harder. That's why Republicans are just so much of giving you things. Go ahead. Yeah, but, you know, it's, um, it's sort of 50-50 on the ruling i mean um, some people they've been interviewing people on television and some say thank god free at last you know etc but others were saying no 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 i'm wearing my mask because it's not ready yet the situation's not there no i know the republicans are the biggest frauds in the world they say it's up to you you want to wear a mask wear a mask and then uh when DeSantis saw those school kids wearing their masks he chided them and tried to bully them into taking their masks off it's so the republicans play that liberty well, game DeSantis is on it you know um math books are are critical race theory based now <laughs> That is some weird. I mean, folks, that math book thing coming out of Florida, Florida's lost its freaking mind. Uh, but I, I, I should bring a math professor on to talk about that. Hey, you should get Dan Biss on to talk about that. Great idea. Thanks, Monroe, for thinking of that. Um, I just wrote this down. Uh, yeah, that's just insanity. Uh, the lengths to which the rep- hey, let me ask you this on that yeah. level. And this is a total curveball. I just read this essay. Uh, by this, uh, I forget where it was, the New York Times, I think it was, a high school senior in California and from a liberal community, uh, sort of like an Oak Parkish, Evanston type community, probably not as cool as Evanston because there's only one Evanston. Evanston has you, but <laughs> Oak Park has Hemingway. Oh. <laughs> he he got out as soon as he could right. so, did I. so did i but that's neither here nor there uh yeah i think i think that's a, an advantage I, I gotta say i'm no Hemingway. um and her school board uh banned uh huckleberry finn which was of course uh required reading when you and i were in school right i don't know uh i've never asked you this uh, what's your thoughts about teaching Huckleberry Finn uh, in uh, public schools? Uh, no problem with it whatsoever. Mark, Mark Twain was way ahead of his time on race relations. And um, sure, there's Nigger Jim, 
But uh, that was just said. You know, I mean, there was no thought about it. No, no, but there was no NAACP around to protest. Uh, Harry Harriet Beecher Stowe had written um, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah, Uncle Tom's Cabin, and that was the book that actually spurred on emancipation. The novel was so popular, and it set the the the, uh, the path to emancipation and uncle you know and uncle and uncle tom as we know was pretty um clarence thomas <laughs> the, the views and opinions of monroe <laughs> always have to say that when monroe comes on uh no it, it, we're gonna uh tangent with it a tangent here but uh I'm with you. It, it's a real challenge. Let's put it uh, mildly for a teacher uh, to teach uh, either one of those two books, by the way. Uh, but, you know, and Tony, Tony Morris's um, Morrison's um, beloved has been banned also. Nobel Peace Prize winning author. Literature, not peace. I mean, it's literature. I meant yeah. literature. Yeah. Uh, you've now mentioned two Nobel Prize winners in the same show. That's uh, what I think it's a record. Ernest Hemingway won one, one as well. Uh, all right. Uh, so back to the, uh, I don't know how we got on to uh, Huckleberry. I'm with you hundred percent on Huckleberry Finn. Uh, so I just, uh, I'm watching this. I feel as though what I'm about to see is more of what I've seen my whole life where Democrats, again, so defensive, so afraid of their own shadow um, respond to the judge's ruling as though they agree with it, don't want to defend the position they took at the height of a pandemic when they were trying to save lives and just pretend like the whole thing didn't exist, which allows Republicans to pound their chest and say we were right all, all along. Monroe, I've seen this my whole life. Yeah, all no, this this is a problem. Uh, Jim Carville is, is attacking Democrats right now. Because he says that uh, they have let the Republicans set the table and make up the dialogue and instead of what every Democrat ought to be doing right now is talking about how fucking crazy Republicans are and evil. I mean, that, that's all they should be talking about is how, how these people are out of their minds. What, l l listen to what they're saying. Think about what they're saying. And instead, uh, the Democrats are reacting to it. Oh, no, uh, we're, he, he says they're doing principles and morals and nobody cares about that. You ought to point out how crazy these people are, how evil they are, and just stick with that. Absolutely. And how they were willing, because of their ide ideology, to ex expose people to this life-threatening disease. I'm with you. I'm, I don't always see eye to eye. He's a Clintonian. Uh, he, of course, was the mastermind behind the 1992 Bill Clinton presidential race. Yeah. Uh, he's a colorful character, Carville. Uh, and uh, I enjoy watching him on TV with his antics. I don't always put it mildly. Yeah. I don't always agree with him. Yeah, but right. at this point, he's right. He's absolutely right. And David right. Ferris comes to the show every other week and says the same damn thing. The Democrats... This gets back to the whole thing about bipartisanship, Monroe. Well, in the spirit of bipartisanship, I'm going to say you're my friend. Uh, your friend is beating you up. Right, 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 right. No, it's it, and if they if if the Democrats don't take the gloves off tomorrow, they come November, there'll be a lot fewer of them in Washington. Well, speaking of taking the gloves off, let's make a transition to a point I wanted to uh, raise with you. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, yes. who is the poster woman of insane Republicans. Yeah. Uh, who's always pushing the envelope uh, to the right, to the right, to the right, to MAGA country uh, to try to make the outrageous acceptable, politically acceptable. Well, she raises uh, a lot of money off of that. Yes, she does. Yeah. Uh, I get her fundraising appeals through the email all the time. 
uh, and I ignore them. So far, I've not been tempted in any way to send her money, uh, but I realize a lot of people do. So uh, a group of activists in Georgia, that's where she uh, is, the, her congressional district is, uh, have sued to uh, challenge her ability to run for re-election on the grounds that she was participating in essentially in what is sedition. You know, I've talked about this, the January 6th uh, storming of the Capitol uh, to try to prevent the um, transition from uh, Trump to Biden. Uh, on the ground, she claims that uh, Trump actually won the election, which, of course, there's, it did not happen. Biden won the election. We all know that. Uh, and uh, her, her lawyer is responding by saying the very arguments uh, that it's, it's so funny, Monroe, that people used to uh, uh, talk about Biden. Uh, so her uh, uh, her lawyer says he, the lawyer called the effort to remove Marjorie Taylor Greene from the ballot part of a well-funded nationwide effort to strip voters of their right to vote for candidates of their choice with elections determined by bureaucrats, judges, lawyers and clever legal arguments. Uh, end of quote. I wouldn't say the legal arguments uh, were particularly clever. <laughs> That the Republicans raised uh, to try to uh, keep Trump in power. But that is literally what the Republicans, including Marjorie Taylor Greene, tried to do and Donald Trump tried to do to Joe Biden and his voters strip voters of their right to vote for candidates of their choice with elections determined by bureaucrats, judges, lawyers and clever legal arguments. They were petitioning judges in Michigan to throw out the votes from Detroit. They were petitioning judges in Pennsylvania to throw out the votes from Philadelphia. And, you know, they were just saying black voters. And it's just like this again, Monroe, the shamelessness of the Republican Party. They do not care in any way if what they say at one moment completely contradicts what they said the day before. It's all about winning, all about winning uh, at that particular moment. Shamelessness. The the Republicans and the Russians have the same tactics. And um, unfortunately in, in Ukraine, it's a lot more deadly than it is in Detroit or, um, Chicago, but it's the same thing. You just lie. You know, Putin for the longest, his invasion wasn't a war; it was a military operation or something. I forgot the the uh, the, the, the rationale they use for doing what they're doing. Now it's finally become a war, but all those dead bodies you see are actors. Uh, Ukrainian actors trying to make Russia look bad. I mean, the, the, the lies are so outrageous, just like the idea that Trump won the election is completely outrageous. Or that um, January 6th was, a, was um, just another protest. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's amazing it's, that you have these fascists, basically, who are, 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 are lying about what's going on and that so many are believing them. Because the, R- Russian, the Russians believe what the propaganda they're, they're getting from Putin. There have been stories of younger people living in the Ukraine calling their parents and telling them the horrors of what's going on and their parents arguing with them, saying, "No, that's not what's going on. Um, it's not a. There's not a war there." Or the the uh, the, the Ukraine has actors pretending to be dead. Yeah. Or they're or they're blowing up. Sometimes the, the um, Ukrainians just are blowing up some of their stuff, so they can blame it on the Russians. Yeah, same basic tactics, uh, same basic tactics of misinformation, disinformation, uh, gaslighting, messing with your brain, uh, saying things, proclaiming things on TV. If people see something on TV, they believe it. Uh, uh, absolutely. And you're right when you say that the stakes are much higher in Ukraine. Uh, 
uh, because there's ongoing slaughter. Right. Uh, and so, I, yes, you're absolutely correct uh, when you say that. And I'm just hoping that our country would not slide in that direction any further uh, than it uh, is. Uh, are the, you, optimist, the, the optimist in me hopes, fingers crossed, believes that because of the lying and the deception and the evil that um, – some of the Rip Van Winkle people who are not woke yet will become so. In this country you're talking about? In this country, where they will see they will see the tactics are the same. They will they will uh, become ashamed of the barefaced lie that, that Putin has done and the Russian people have accepted. Mm. And they'll go, oh, my God, this is what we were falling for. Because Trump won't, Trump will not turn his back on Putin. He will not criticize Putin. Well, I, I agree with the point you made to me yesterday when we were chatting about this. I think Putin's got something on Trump. Yeah. Oh, he got and, he got uh, the PP it? tapes on it. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. He got the PP tapes. Uh, but uh, the reality is that uh, uh, Donald Trump remains the single most important person in the Republican Party, which is a frightening thing. And to that point, I'll raise this one: uh, Vance, who uh, is running for Senate uh, in Ohio, a, a state that Trump took twice. It's Ohio. Obama won Ohio in 2008. Donald Trump took it by, I think, by eight percentage points this time around, something like that, which is astounding to me, Monroe. Just astounding to me, the transformation of the state of Ohio, was a state that's critical to Republicans. I do not believe a Republican president has ever won uh, an election without winning Ohio's electoral college votes. Right. And it's a key pivotal state for the Republican Party. And it's almost, I mean, I could say that it's in the red column. Uh, you could argue that it's as red as uh, uh, Illinois is blue in national elections. And they love Trump. So his this is really curious because uh, J.D. Vance was not the leader in the polls uh, in the, the, um, the Senate race uh, for the right to go up against Tim Ryan in November, the Democrat. Uh, but Trump just endorsed him. I'm like, wow, it's is that going to turn the tides in Ohio? Is that all it's going to take? Are people just going to fall in line uh, because Donald Trump has endorsed him? Is that this is a pivotal election, Monroe, in terms of showing how strong Trump's uh, endorsement powers are? Go ahead. Right, what do you think? Right. And um, we'll see. I, I think, well, it's two things going on here. We'll see if Trump has any powers when he's not in the race. So we'll see if any of his, many of his candidates actually win the primary because he's endorsing some really crazy people. <laughs> uh, it, it, has, it, has, it has Mitch worried uh, because Mitch, Mitch is dreaming of regaining the Senate. And with these, these cuckoos that um, Trump is backing, even if they win the primary, they're going to lose the general. And so it would be helpful to the Democrats. And Trump, Trump gave us Georgia in the last election with his antics and ego. And um, he may save the Democrats from what now appears like an incredible disaster. Uh, in, in other words, uh, by positioning extreme MAGA types uh, right. for statewide races, he may yeah. actually uh, snatch victory uh, from the jaws of defeat, as I say. Uh, Herschel Walker is this, the Republican Senate candidate in Georgia. Yes. And I don't I don't know if you and I have discussed Herschel Walker. No, we haven't. Uh, <laughs> what's your general thoughts about Herschel Walker, a former football player? He's running for Senate. Anyway, he took well, first of all, he took too many hits. And uh, and secondly, 
he is not a good candidate. He's he's just not a good. He's not he's not articulate. He's he's he has been known to beat his wife. Uh, in 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 this era of Me Tooism. Um, so he's just not a good candidate. He, he he will not if if he wins the primary, he won't be beating anybody in in the general. Well, I really sincerely hope. By the way, domestic violence is wrong even before Me Too. I didn't need Me Too to tell me that was wrong, but I get your point, (laughs) the point that you were making. But I just wanted to clarify a famous Ben Jarosky show clarification. Uh, Yeah, no, I... um, It's it's double double wrong now. There there were men back before the Me Too era and some women who thought, well, if they did something, maybe they deserved it. But that is no longer the mentality almost anywhere at well, any let's time. Hope so. now. Let's hope it's not the mentality in Georgia. And, I'm, and, I, and I have to say this. This is a test of – this is a real test of the Tim Scott uh, paradigm, and I'll explain that. Tim Scott uh, is African-American, a uh, black man in South Carolina, statewide, but victorious uh, as a Senate candidate. He was a congressman. He's a Republican pretty hardcore Republican. He voted against Katanji Brown Jackson. So he doesn't stray from MAGA. Uh, and um, the model, he's the model, Monroe. He's the model uh, that um, MAGA has decided that perhaps the most useful spokespeople for their cause are black people because then they can claim that they're exonerated of having any kind of uh, white supremacist attitudes or racism or bigotry or prejudice. Cause after all they're supporting a black person. And then that black person in turn uh, calls proclaim, sends out email fundraisers, raising letters saying they are a victim of attacks from people like Monroe. Right. And, and so that fires up that sense of victimization that is so important to the MAGA crusade to feel that they're picked on. So we're seeing it heading in that direction with Richard Irvin, uh, who is essentially a moderate Democrat and sort of out the window. He's heading, heading in that day. He's there. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> He's You're right. There. Yeah, but they, they need to just hand him a handkerchief so he can pat his forehead. <laughs> Yes. Uh, he, of course, <laughs> Richard Irvin running for uh, <laughs> governor here in the state of Illinois. Uh, so I don't know. Monroe, do you think that's a model that's going to work? Do you think that's a model? Uh, uh, it's not going to work in Illinois. I'd say that can settle it. You've been saying that's from the get go. Yeah, it's not going to work in Illinois. No, no. I mean, if he, if he was running against, um, oh, God, I'm blanking on his name. The, the last Republican governor we had who was like Bruce Rauner. Bru- no, sorry, Democratic governor. I'm like, the last oh, governor. Rod Blagojevich, Pat Quinn. Quinn. If he's running against Pat Quinn, and eh, maybe. But uh, Pritzker is too good of a governor for, for, for him to, to pull that off. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, big defender of Pat Quinn. And. Uh, uh, I think Pat Quinn got a bum deal, but we'll uh, hold that off for another time. Yeah, no, Pat, but Pat Pat was boring. He was his State of the Union. He 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 could have taken one of his State of the Union's speeches and sold it uh, for calm. You know, like to have that, that thing to cool you down on, that you can get. He, he, they could just sold it. He could have replaced Salmonex. Uh, Pat Quinn, definitely the views and opinions, Pat Quinn, of Monroe Anderson. Do that necessary reflect the Ben All right. Uh, we've run out of time today, Monroe. Uh, we're still alive to give the show uh, for another day for this show. Uh, I presume we'll still be around next week, uh, despite the existential crisis that my beloved Chicago reader is facing. So as long as I have so a you, show. You, you, you can do the show without the reader, yes or no. Or you must have the reader. Uh, great question. It's a question uh, that Dennis and I were just talking about uh, earlier today. We do not have a definitive yes, but we have like a 90% yes. Uh, 
but we have to figure all that stuff out. And I, I don't even want to go down that road. Uh, I don't want the reader to die. Yeah, so, right. Of course. You know, but I know what you're saying. You always have to have a plan B. Uh, I love doing this show and um, I love the connection with the reader and uh, I want it to continue. So I'll end the show today's show the way I began it by uh, requesting, pleading, begging, <laughs> whatever. Just make the transfer, Len. That's all you have to do. Save a lot of jobs. Uh, people's uh, livelihood and lives are on the line. So, uh, but we've, we'll be around at least till next week. I know with the reader connection Monroe. So you will be back here as long as I've had a show. Monroe's been on it. And uh, I, I see no reason to discontinue that. And I know he doesn't because now he's getting lunch out of it. Right. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, Monroe, thanks uh, for spending time with us on Wednesday, as you always do. Appreciate it. And talk to you next week. All right. All right. Okay. Bye. Very good. That's the great Monroe Anderson. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Monroe Anderson uh, and Governor Pritzker will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Marvelous. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. 